So a couple of weeks ago, as you may remember, we celebrated Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, and we paused to take a brief look at exactly who that was on that donkey riding into Jerusalem. And we emphasized, we took time to emphasize just who that was. And you, you may remember I, I quoted John chapter 1, 1 through 5, or at least 1 through 3 at that time. Um, John, that, those first few verses of chapter 1 of John are pretty unambiguous. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And you tell me, the Word was God. So who's on that donkey? Who's on that donkey? It's the most unbelievable thing that's ever fallen upon the ears of mankind. God has sacrificed Himself for the salvation of His people. So we took a little look at who that was on the donkey. He's the Creator God, the Genesis 1 God who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. You say, Jim, I didn't know there was two trillion galaxies. Well, we don't know how many there are, but the latest number, I like to read this stuff, and the latest number I've read is two trillion. Not stars, galaxies. God just says, let there be, and there is. He's the one on the donkey. Okay? He's the one. He's the wrathful God of Genesis 6 and 7 who judged the whole earth apart from Noah and his family. He, he's the warrior God of Exodus who crushed Egypt in their arrogant rebellion. He's the fearsome God of Mount Sinai, the thunderous, fiery, smoking, quaking mountain where God gives His law. He is the God of Psalm 97, before whom the whole earth shakes and trembles and the mountains melt like Wax. He is the reigning God of Psalm 99 before whom all the peoples of the world will tremble. He is the holy majestic God of Isaiah 6 whose glory fills the whole earth. And if you know your Bible, you know I could stand here till I fell over talking about the greatness of Jesus Christ. We don't have time for that. But John is clear. This carpenter from Nazareth, he's God. There's no ambiguity in the Gospel of John. This is God. If Jesus isn't God, then John is the worst blasphemer who's ever walked the planet. John's making it very clear to us that this is Yahweh. This is Jehovah. This is I Am. This is El Shaddai. This is Elohim. This is Adonai. This is God. Riding into Jerusalem. Why? We talked about it some weeks ago. Why? <laughs> because He's come for His bride. If you're a Christian tonight, you are 
part of the bride of Christ. You belong to His church. His church is His bride. So we saw God... We saw God's love as He laid His life down for His people. We saw that several weeks ago as we looked at the crucifixion. And we saw God's power as He took His life up again. We saw it in the resurrection. This awesome God who died for us and who lives for us. We touched on the fact that um, in the world we always hear this endless list of questions. Why questions? The, the world is always questioning God. I know you probably hear it a lot. I hear it all the time. Why doesn't God run the universe the way I think He should? God is always being critiqued. But we came up with one really good why question that was pertinent. Does anybody remember what it was? There's one really good why question. You know, I tell you all the time, God doesn't answer very many why questions. He simply does not answer them. He doesn't give an accounting of Himself to His creatures. But there is one really good why question. Anybody know what it is? Anybody remember? Why would God die for the likes of me? Now that's a good why question. Why would God die for a rebellious, arrogant, self-absorbed, you know, self-consumed sinner like me. Why would He do that? That's a good why question. That is a good why question. It is relevant. It's a question that should grip us all with wonderment and awe. (laughs) God has died for me. It's breathtaking, beloved. It's breathtaking. So, It seemed good. This has been echoing in my head. It's been echoing in my head. Who this is on this donkey. And I am gripped by it. And you've not understood it if you're not gripped by it. If it's just religious dogma to you, you don't understand. But if you are gripped by it, if you can't get over the fact that God has taken on flesh and He's riding into Jerusalem on a lowly creature to be nailed to a tree. And so I just wanted to think more deeply about who this is. And there's no better place to go than John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As you know, there are four Gospels. In the Bible, God gives us a rich composite picture of Jesus Christ. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John principally, principally record what Jesus said and what He did. John is more skewed to telling us who He was and what it all meant. In one sense, John is interpreting who He is and what He did for the reader. John wrote last. He wrote around 90 A.D. The other three Gospels were in existence. John, there's no question about who wrote. Among legitimate scholars, there's no question about who wrote the Gospel of John. He is the disciple, the son of Zebedee, the disciple of Jesus Christ. So John knew Jesus as well as any man had known Jesus. He walked with Him. He slept with Him. He laughed with Him. He ate with Him. He prayed with Him. 
John was in the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. He was close to Christ. John saw Him transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw the full glory of Jesus Christ. John knew what he was talking about. Some of you remember in 1 John, when he begins that great epistle, John says, what was from the beginning, we, what we had heard, what we had seen, and what we beheld with our hands, and what we handled concerning the Word of life. John is saying, I know this man. I walked with this man. I love this man. He's the God-man. So you have a, a, an eyewitness account here. And John says he's God. He is God. Just quickly, John, as you know, he wrote, he wrote the Gospel here. He wrote three epistles and he wrote the book of Revelation. There are three words that permeate the, the, the writings of John. Forty-five times he refers to truth. Jesus is the truth. Eighty times he mentions the word love. It's why John is called the Apostle of Love. He's talking about the unfathomable love of God for His people and the love of Christians for Jesus and for one another. And 100 times, John uses the word believe. John's pointing at something in the Gospel of John. He's pointing at you. And he's exhorting you to believe that that is Yahweh on the donkey. It is I Am on the cross. He's challenging you to believe it. We know this from uh, John chapter 20, verse 31. He tells us why He wrote the Gospel. He says, These things have been written that you might believe. So I'm going to stop and ask, do you believe? And I'm not talking about in some, you know, uh, I believe the facts kind of thing, like Satan. Satan believes the facts. I'm talking about have you believed in such a way that you've given your life to Him. That's, that's what the Bible's always talking about when we talk about believing in a biblical sense. We're talking about believing in such a way that the old things pass away, the new things come, I'm born again, I repent of my sin, I place my faith in Jesus, and I walk with Him. It's what Christians do. This is not rocket science. So John says, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing that you might have life in His name. So Matthew, Mark, Luke are giving us an earthly perspective. John is giving us a divine perspective. 90% of what John teaches us is not included in the other Gospels. God the Holy Spirit is shouting to us from the pages of the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ is God incarnate. It's interesting to note that the early chapters of Matthew and Luke, we get the genealogies of Joseph and Mary. In the first chapter of John, we get His divine genealogy. <laughs> there are no begats in this one. He's God. His divine genealogy. He's just God. He's the God who has always been. He's the unbegun. He's the uncreated. He is the first and the last. He is the God who just is. It's proper that Matthew and Luke give us Joseph's and Mary's genealogy. 
That's a good thing. We need to know that this is the promised Messiah, the one that was promised to Abraham who would bless all the families of the earth, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He's the one promised to King David who would establish that throne forever, 2 Samuel 7, 16. So it's good that we have these human genealogies. But John is saying, in the beginning, He was there. He's always been there. He's never not been there. He transcends the beginning is what John is saying. He has no proper genealogy from the divine side. He's just God. It's a powerful, powerful declaration. It's interesting to note, then I'll get into the text, that the vocabulary here in the Gospel of John is on a fourth grade level. Anyone can understand it. But he begins in such a weighty, transcendent kind of way, right? The vocabulary is quite simple. But what he says is remarkable. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So, in the beginning was the Word, very simply, Jesus Christ is not... He's not from the beginning. He's in the beginning. Do you understand? He transcends the beginning. He was there at the beginning. From an eternity past. From an eternity past. In the beginning of the space-time matter universe, Jesus Christ was there. In fact, He was the Creator of the space-time matter universe. He transcends creation. It's one of the least talked about and appreciated attributes of God, this eternal solitariness. You know, the theologians ask the question, why does God create? You know, those of you who've been around for a while, you know why God creates. You've heard me say it many times. You know, there's. it's often said that God creates, uh, erroneously said, blasphemously said that God creates because He's lonely. Um, God dwells in perfect love and communication and fellowship in the, 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 the Godhead, the triune God. So God does not create from want or from need. He creates from fullness. In eternity past, the triune God dwelt alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. God does not need you or two trillion galaxies to feel good about Himself. Okay? God doesn't need you in any possible, conceivable way. But He's died for you. Beloved, this can't be small in your life. I understand if you're just a church member and a churchgoer, and all it is is doctrine and dogma. I get that. If that's who you are, then it's a small thing to you. It doesn't matter to you on Monday morning when you get up. 
It doesn't matter how you live at the university. It doesn't matter how you do your work. It doesn't matter how you love your wife or your husband. It doesn't matter how you raise your kids. It doesn't matter what you do with your money. It doesn't matter what you do with your time. It doesn't matter how you surf the internet. It doesn't matter if you fornicate. It doesn't matter if you uh, are viewing uh, pornography. It doesn't matter. But if you believe it's God, it matters. Everything matters. Everything changes if you believe He's God. It matters, beloved. John Piper says it best about this creation. I just have to read this to you. It's one of my favorite quotes ever. Uh, In creation, God goes public with the glory and the joy that reverberates between the Father and the Son. It's like an explosion. Creation is an explosion. It's the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence. Creation, in one sense, is the planned eruption of God's infinite joy and happiness and genius and passion. In the beginning was the Word. Some theologians have translated it like this. Before the beginning began was Jesus forever. Another one is, from in the beginning of the beginnings which never began was Jesus forever. I know this blows our temporal minds. Our, our finite temporal minds. We can't think like this. I get it. We, don't, we can't have any right concept of eternity past. But Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have dwelt in eternity past. They never began. This is what John is saying to us about Jesus. You know, John Piper says it right. If you're understanding the Bible, it will blow your mind. (laughs) You're not understanding it if it doesn't blow your mind. (laughs) Right? As one theologian said, a comprehended God is no God. Uh, you know, I get this complaint a lot. Well, I can't understand God. Well, of course you can't under. You, of course you can't fully understand God. After a billion eternities, you will not fully understand God. There'll still be a billion questions left to ask. He's infinite. You can't get to the end of I am ever. I'm always amused at these pseudo intellectuals who critique God and, and um, make fun of God and say he's not, you can't understand God. Well, if you understand Him, He's not God. Amen? I love what the Apostle Paul says. Um, he is unsearchable. He is unfathomable. He is past finding out. Beloved, worship that. Don't try to explain God to the world. Yes, we give testimony. We give witness. But we can't explain Him fully to the world. We can't. What we do is worship. Right? We worship. This is what we do with the mystery that is Jehovah. We worship. With our lives we worship. It's not just about an hour on Sunday. My whole life is worship. A comprehended God is no God. Jesus says through His prophet Isaiah, 
To whom will you liken me that I should be His equal? I am God and there is no one like me. You remember, you may remember the Jews were always disputing with Jesus. And they finally said it in John 8. Who do you think you are? I'm paraphrasing. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, what? I am! And the lid came off, right? And they picked up stones to, to stone him. They knew what he was saying. There was no mistake. You know, you get people say, oh, he's a good teacher. Jesus is a good moral teacher. He's a good philosopher. He was a good man. He did some good things. No! He can't simply be that. He's God. He claimed it. He said it. Every Jew knew what he was talking about. I am is the name for God that, that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. Every Jew knew it. They knew exactly what he was saying. And he let it stand. He didn't try to clarify. He's God and he said it. And he wants you to know it. He wants the whole world to know it. He's God. He's God. The world hates this. You know? The world hates... When we're giving biblically accurate testimony to the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, He is God and nobody else is, the world thinks we're bigots. That we're intolerant. No. We're just saying what God has said about Himself. We're just saying what Jesus Christ has said about Himself. What the Bible teaches about Him. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. In the beginning was the Word. Why does, he, why does John use this word? The, word is, the Greek word is logos. What, is, what does it mean? Logos means Word. So why does He use it? Because He's writing to Gentiles and to Jews. The Gentiles get it. The Greeks get it. They get the logos. They get it. They used it in more of a philosophical uh, meaning, but it still had the meaning of divine reason and wisdom. And of course, the Jew knew what the Logos was. Because God had always dealt with the Jews through His Word, right? We talked a lot about this last week. Okay? That the Bible is the Word of God. And in Scripture, the person of God and the Word of God are always interrelated. If you have a low view of Scripture, you have a low view of God. If you discount the Scripture of the Bible, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, if you discount the Scripture, you're discounting God. God is His Word. This is why John uses the Logos. God created by His Word. His Word's eternal. He revealed Himself through His Word. He communicates His law and His wisdom through His Word. So in one all-inclusive term, the Logos, John says to the whole world, here is your God. It's what he's saying. As clearly as can be said to Jew and Gentile, here is your God. Here He is. This is Him. His name is Jesus Christ. Yeah, He came into flesh. You know, He was incarnated uh, through Mary. Yeah, He was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, um, he, he grew up. And yeah, <clears throat> that's Him on a donkey. That's Him on a cross. That's Him coming out of the grave. 
Jesus Christ is God. And the Word was with God, literally face to face with God. Now John is bringing us into the mystery of the, the Trinity here. We've already touched on the Trinity. How early in the Bible was the Trinity um, at least alluded to? Does anybody, anybody know? Genesis chapter 1. That's pretty early. In the beginning, God, Elohim, plural, it's a plural in the Hebrew, created the heavens and the earth. Now we know what, what, what was said and what was recorded when God created man. Do you remember? Let us create man in our own image. Now the world hates this too. The world hates the Trinity. Right? It's one of the, the when I'm when I'm dealing with unbelievers and you know secular people and unbelievers, I, I get this all the time. And all of you know my if you've been here very long, you know my, my, my strategy on this. I simply do not try to explain the Trinity. God does not explain the Trinity, so I do not explain the Trinity. God reveals the Trinity. I accept the Trinity. I cannot explain the Trinity. I can describe the Trinity. I cannot explain the Trinity. So don't get into a, backed up into a corner where you think you have to explain some aspect of God that is inexplicable to a finite temporal mind. Love it. Worship it. Don't explain it. Beloved, this is what God expects of His people. Love it that he's, <laughs> that he's inexplicable. So He is God. He is God. And then, we didn't read it, but let's turn over. Look, look, look at verse 14. Verse 14 of John chapter 1. Because we've been talking about the Word, right? The Word became flesh. There it is. Jesus is the Word. He's God. He's with God. He was God. He was in the beginning with God. And now he's, he's taken on flesh. Look what it says, verse 14. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God has become a man. Let me read it to you from Philippians chapter 2. Although He, that's Jesus, existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Beloved, you get some sense of the infinite condescension of Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. In eternity past, in perfect fellowship with the Godhead. And we don't know exactly when angels were created. But be experiencing the adulation of hosts of angels. And Jesus lays it all aside. <laughs> he lays it all aside to take on flesh to redeem you out of hell. Okay, I've got to ask you again. How can this be a small thing to you? How can this not change every single day when you wake up? If you actually believe it, it can't. So this is the love story that 
God is telling through the Gospel of John, and I said it to you before, nobody's ever loved you like God has loved you. If you're a Christian tonight, you've never been loved like God has loved you. And you never will be. This is the story that John is telling. And the Word was God. He is God with us, right? It's what the angel told Joseph. He's God with us. What's the, what's the name? God with us. Emmanuel. He's God with us. And then if you look at verse 18 of chapter 1 of John, you'll see that He explains God. He explains God. I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here of verse 18. He said, Jesus is a one-of-a-kind God expression and has made God plain as day. And Jesus, He never shirked this or hid from this. He says, uh, John 14.9, He says, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. John 8.58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And there are many other I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. The Holy Spirit says it in Colossians like this. Colossians 1.15 He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2.9 For in Him, that being Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Let me just read to you real quick Hebrews 1, 1-3. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He, this is Jesus Christ, is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. He's God! Do you believe it and are you living like it? Or is Jesus Christ just an icon to you? It matters, beloved. It matters. He's God. Again, the world hates this. They think we're bigots. They think we're intolerant. They hated Jesus too, you know? They killed Him. They killed Him. I was contemplating the fact that this is the unforgivable, unforgivable blasphemy of Islam. Some of you know this. It's called shirk, which is to attribute some partnership with God. So, Islam hates um, the Trinity. They hate it. They think it's polytheism. Of course, this is a clear signature of the demonic origin of Islam. They hate the Trinity. They, th they, they call it blasphemous. Well, if you're going to blaspheme Christ, we, we kind of know where that's coming from, right? It's simply demonic. Let me, uh, let me quote C.S. Lewis here. I know some of you have heard this before, but I love, it. I love this quote. It's a little bit lengthy, so stick with me. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus Christ. They say, I'm ready to accept Him as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept His claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus uh, said would, be, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man 
who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or else something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Beloved, he's God or he's a lunatic. You've heard it said. He's, a, he's liar, Lord, or lunatic. So you have to decide. Every human being has to decide. You have to decide if Jesus is telling the truth or not. So there in verse 2, we see this repetition. He simply says it again. He was in the beginning with God. Repetition in the, in the Bible is always a form of emphasis. He was in the beginning with God. He was preexistent with God. He's coexistent with God. Right? Okay, it's just that John is making sure we don't miss that point. You know, if you just read through the Bible and you look at the titles given to Jesus that are also attributed to the Father, uh, I'll just give you a couple. Both are called the Shepherd, the Judge, the Holy One, the First and the Last, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Savior, the Mighty God, the Lord of Hosts, the Lord of Glory, the Alpha and the Omega, the Redeemer. And I could go on and on and on. And divine attributes were attributed to Jesus Christ. He's called eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, immutable, unchanging, sovereign, glorious. I could go on and on. This is the testimony of Scripture. Verse 3, John is telling us that Jesus is the Creator, that baby in the manger. That boy in the temple, that man washing feet, that man on a donkey, and that man on a cross, he's the Creator God. John says it in the positive. All things came into being by Him. He says it in the negative. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Turn over to verse 10 and look what he says. He was in the world and the world was made through Him and the world did not know Him. The Bible says this, Many times, let me just take you to Colossians 1, 16 and 17 quickly. Let me just read it for you. For by Him, this is Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. There is but one God the Father from whom all are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom all things, and we exist through Him. So from amoeba to archangel, Jesus Christ is the Creator. As we get to verses 4 and 5, John is telling us that Jesus Christ is the life and He is the light. Of course, if He is the Creator... It's obvious, isn't it? He is the life. But it's the thread that's pulled all the way through the Bible. God is offering anyone who will repent and believe life. He's offering life. If you've read my book, there's a whole paragraph. It's like, I think it's like half a page of, of all of the metaphors of life, right? The Bible is an offer of life 
to every man and woman who is dead in their sins, which is everybody. <laughs> right? This is the thread. God says, here I am. Why then should you die? The Greek word is zoe. This is not biology. This is not simply inhaling and exhaling. This is the soulish life. Jesus Christ offers the soulish life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14.6 I am the bread of life. John 6.35 I am the resurrection and the life. John 11.25 I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. John 10.10 10. So Jesus tells us that He is light. Simply that He is the truth of God. You see why Islam hates Him. <laughs> you know, they talk about Jesus, but they immediately demote Him. How does Islam talk about Jesus Christ? Anybody know? He's a prophet. No! He's not a prophet. He's God. It's blasphemous to say He's merely a prophet. So we understand where these lies come from. The father of lies. We understand. John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So this, this metaphor of light with respect to Jesus, He has the truth. He is the truth. This is what's being communicated. You remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus over in John chapter 3. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. You know, people come to me a lot and they say, well, Jim, I've been witnessing to my friend and they, you know, it's like they can't get it. They can't get it. And I say they don't want it. You know, and the relationship is, is strained and, and it's like they don't even want to be around me anymore. They hate that light that's coming off of you, right? They hate the light that's coming off of you. They hate the truth. They love the darkness. They want to stay in the darkness. They love their sin. They want to be God. I'll have no God over me. Is what almost everybody you walk that you run into in the world is saying, I'll have no God over me. Or I'll have some cartoon false God. I'll have some cartoon Jesus over me. But not this God. Not the biblical Jesus. Some cartoon denominational Jesus, but not the biblical one. So I did want to point out two here in verse 5. Uh, I read When I read it to you, it says that the... And I noticed... Blessing, when he read it, it says the, the darkness does not comprehend it. This is really not the best translation. Um, the best translation is the darkness cannot overcome it. Amen? The darkness cannot overcome Jesus Christ. It's not about comprehending. It's deeper. Overcoming, it cannot happen. It's like when you, you know, you're in a, you ever been in a, in a cave and all the light is out? You ever been there? I mean, it's just utter, total, complete blackness. And somebody lights a candle or something. And immediately the light dispels the darkness. <laughs> right? This is a perfect picture of what Jesus has done as He has come into the world. So, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase is pretty, is pretty catching there. He says, the, the life light blazed out of the darkness and the darkness could not put it out. 
So there are three truths continually jumping off the page as you study the Gospel of John. And the ladies just got through studying the Gospel of John. John is clear. Jesus is God. The second thing that comes off the page of the Gospels of John is that some believe. And the third thing that comes off the page is the majority do not. They are indifferent or they categorically reject Jesus Christ. So, here's the power of the Gospel of John. And and some of you women could probably say it better than me because you've been studying the book this year. If you study the book or if you simply read the book of the Gospel of John, you will be brought face 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 to face with Jesus Christ. And you have to make a decision. He is God. Or He's just another religious icon. You get to make that decision. It's your decision. Is He God? Or is He just some other religious, more or less meaningless icon? And to not decide, let me say it to you this way, to not decide is to decide. To table that decision I'm not going to make a decision about Jesus. I'm going to table that. I can come back and consider it. Well, I fear for your soul if that's how you feel. I fear for your soul. What what does the writer of Hebrews say to us three times? Today, if you hear His voice, repent and believe. Beloved, we, we don't talk about small stuff in here, right? I mean, we talk about real stuff. We talk about things that matter forever in here. And some of you have not come to Christ. Some of you have not really come to Christ. You may be a church member, but you've not really come to Christ. You've not really loved Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've not really given yourself away to Him. He's not really first in your life. And that's what I'm calling you to tonight. Say, Jim, you're kind of jazzed. That's what happens to me when I'm reading the Bible all week. It makes me crazy. I told the young adults Wednesday night. Yeah, how can it not make you a little crazy? (laughs) You know, God loves me like this. So I'm simply asking you, what have you decided about Jesus? What have you decided? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I'll just ask you, do you believe it? You know how you know if you really believe? Well, it's in your heart. You know, you love Him. You just love Him. You you can't help it. You love Him. In fact, you hopelessly love Him. That's the first good sign. But if it's real, it's in your life. It's in your life at the university, in your home, in your neighborhood, obviously in your church. It affects what sites you go to on the internet, right? It's in your life. It's on your tongue. You speak the name of Jesus out in the world. You speak the name of Jesus. You don't... You don't use the generic term God because it's safe. Everybody kind of talks about God 
Most people in the world believe in some kind of God, but we talk about Jesus Christ. We use His name. We draw the line. Jesus Christ is God. He is God and nobody else is God. This is how, this is how the people of God speak, beloved. So I challenge you. Have you believed? Have you believed? We may spend a few more weeks in John. I get pretty jazzed about John. It's a beautiful, beautiful exposition of Jesus Christ and how He's loved us and who He is and His sufficiency for the atonement of our sin. Yeah, it's an exciting, exciting book. So we may spend a few weeks in it. Let's pray together. Lord, this is unbelievable news. This is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Creator God, I am God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, is in a body. And He's being murdered. Because He loves His people. Lord God, I understand that this cannot be small in our lives. If we've believed it, we have been changed. The old things have passed away and the new things have come. The beautiful things, the awesome things, the breathtaking things, the majestic and holy and righteous things the eternal things. Lord God, help us. Help us to believe and help us to incarnate that belief for the very few moments we have left on this planet to make much of Jesus and to bring much glory to His name and to share His name with all those we encounter who will listen. Jesus Christ is God. Nobody else is. We pray all this in His beautiful and wonderful and matchless name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.